Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey everybody, welcome to Creature Feature, the show where we feature creatures. I'm your host, Katie Golden. I studied evolutionary biology and psychology. So today on the show, we're talking about some more human and animal psychology, biology, and behaviors. And I want to talk about how sometimes big things come in small packages, especially when it comes to the animal kingdom. Today we're talking the classic tale of David and Goliath, unlikely matchups with even unlikelier conclusions. Which of these underdogs will be top dogs in this dog-eat-dog world? Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question, what's the best way to roundhouse kick a wasp? And stay tuned, we have a special interview with Dr. Greg Pauly, curator, herpetologist, and snake whisperer. So, I'm sure everybody knows the story of David and Goliath, the scrappy little dude fighting and taking down a giant, but what if we got it all wrong? What if David was a giant-killing predator armed with a rock-slinging weapon? In the natural world, it's not always so clear who the true underdog in this situation is, and in fact, there's a little David-like spider who casts her own stones. She's called the bolus spider. The bolus spider group consists of several species of orb-weaving spiders native to America, Australia, and Africa, who hunt not just by weaving a web, but with a handmade bolus weapon. The human version of the bolus is similar to David's weapon, though instead of a sling, it's a couple of weighted balls tied to a cord which, when whirled above your head and thrown, can be used to capture animals by entangling their legs. Bolus spiders use a sticky blob on the end of a line of spider silk. Their prey? Moths, which are often much larger than the spiders themselves. The spider will dangle her bolus out like a fishing lure, then swing it as the moth gets within her range. 
The moth gets stuck to the sticky glob of silk and the spider reels it in. Even more sinister, that glob of sticky thread is often laced with pheromones that attract moths. The moths think they're about to meet a sexy single, but instead they meet their doom. One more thing about the bull spiders, some species have developed a pretty creative form of camouflage. They look like bird turds. Their lumpy, shiny white and brown abdomens are meant to mimic bird dookies, an unappetizing prospect for predators, and an unexpected source of danger for prey. So if one bull spider says to another, you look like shit today, she'll say, hey, thanks. So joining me today is Alex the Clam Schmidt, or as I like to call him, the Itty Bitty Schmitty Committee. <laughs> <laughs> It's so good to be here, Katie. Thank we worked you. we worked on those nicknames. Uh, yeah, that was we workshopped those. It's like when you have two winners, you can't choose. Got to do can't them all. Can't choose. Yeah. yeah. Got to list all the names. I also when you were talking about the boluses, I realized that my touchstones for those kinds of weapons are David from David and Goliath and Batman. Batman. Those are my two yeah. <laughs> main ways to go. Yeah, the sort of insert or Wonder Woman too, those kind of ensnaring we- oh, weapons yeah. with yeah, the yeah. the swinging um Batman's got the battering, doesn't he? Yeah, he. Well, he's he's weird because he has a whole belt of stuff. He's you got know? a whole you belt. Yeah, <laughs> a utility belt. What He'll a, suddenly have a pager. or something. What a dork! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite is in the old uh, the Batman cartoons, like Adam West Batman, but the just cartoon version. Like he had anti gravity spray in his belt, <laughs> so as they were falling down a cliff, uh, he just deployed that anti gravity spray. <laughs> <laughs> So I actually have a video of the bola spider if you want to take a look at that. Um, oh, yeah. Fire it up. Here she is. She's got her. You can see it. It's like it looks like a fishing lure that she's just holding out with one of her legs. And she's like, you know, doing this kind of oh, come wow. hither thing with it. Um, and then shortly, a moth is going to just fly right, right into her trap and she'll reel it in. And it's it's just so funny because it looks like they're kind of fishing, um, just like do do do, waiting for a moth. Um, yeah, it's very it's very Looney Tunes, like dangling a carrot on a string, yeah. and Bugs is going to take it. Yeah, like wi- a wily e. coyote situation. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just it, it's it's like it lifts it when it's it, when the moth is nearby, and there it's it snags it, and then it reels it oh, in. Yeah, and it's time ty- like the moth can be pretty big compared to the actual spider. So it's pretty, because like the problem with moths for regular spider webs is that, first of all, they, they're quite big. They can like, you know, tear a web, but they're, I was about to say feathers, but their wings have all these scales on them that can like oh. come off and allow them to escape a web. Um, so. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, have you ever felt a moth? They're kind of dusty. So yeah, a little, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. That's all. Also, just anytime I think of an animal who eats moths, like they have completely the opposite moth opinion from me. They're like, you know, what's worth all this effort? A moth. A big mouthful oh. of moth. Oh yeah. Even saying moth feels <laughs> saying the word moth kind of feels like how having a moth in your mouth must, must be <laughs> having that moth in your mouth. Yeah, the moth. Mouth- yes. Yes. <laughs> Well, so another story of a spidery underdog is the golden wheel spider. Uh, It's native to southern Africa. It looks kind of like a tarantula, um, but it's yellowish instead of uh, black or gray. And you don't think of spiders as the victims that often, but they actually are. Like they, they have their share of predators who... Um, And one of them we've talked about on the show before, it's particularly heinous. Uh, It's the 
parasitic spider wasp, uh, which will, uh, it's quite a menacing predator because uh, they'll inject the spider with paralyzing venom. They'll drag the spider into their burrow. Then they lay their egg on the spider and bury it alive. And as the egg hatches, it'll eat this still living spider who's paralyzed slowly. Oh my God. Just over the course of even can be up to months. And it's called the parasitic spider wasp. Yes. Imagine imagine being such a parasite that <laughs> parasitic is on the front of your name. Right, right, right. Wow. Like Hi there. No other qualities. I'm Mr. Crimes. <laughs> <laughs> so, and actually, uh, tarantulas and, and other spiders don't really have a, much of a defense against these wasps. Uh, they can't, because the wasps are aerial they can fly so it's really hard for them to they just kind of try to defend themselves as best as they can and they actually because they're flying the tarantulas do the technique of like predatory birds where they kind of ball up but that just leaves them even more exposed to uh the uh the spider wasps um but the spiders got problems too man that's true never thought they got 99 legs and problems (laughs) well they don't have they only have eight legs but you know (laughs) That's another problem. <laughs> 91 more would help. <laughs> so the golden wheel spider goes full Sonic the Hedgehog. Cool. Uh, where it will... Where it becomes too erotic in its movie version? Yes. <laughs> oh God. Got it becomes it. too highly detailed and disquietingly <laughs> too many muscles in its face. Yeah. Um, they will transform into a wheel and cartwheel down dunes. Uh, and it's they can go up to 44 STPS, which is my term for spidey turns per second. Um, and they just, it's really funny to watch because they just, uh, they see the, the wasp and the wasp is attacking it. Um, and the wasp can actually dig it out, dig it out of its burrow. So, uh, and there it goes, Whoa. just rolls down like Sonic. And also the sand element makes me think of Sandshrew, the Pokemon. Oh, really? Looks a lot like Oh, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it just tumbles down the dune side, down a dune, <laughs> um, away from the danger. Whoever shot this got a lot of coverage. This is like <laughs> 10 different angles on that roll. I love it. <laughs> Drone footage of this spider. Um, so there's another victim of predatory wasps whom I think we don't think of as needing sympathy, but the, the humble cockroach. <laughs> Oh, finally. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, cockroaches. I do agree that they're gross. I personally have a very strong aversion to cockroaches, but they're still an animal. They got their yeah. own life and their own hobbies, I'm sure, or whatever they do. Yeah. Do you have a lot of bug phobia? Or Not just, really. just, the, just these particular ones? There's only really two insects that I'm phobic of, I would say, which would be cockroaches and silverfish. Um, oh, I which forget are what the, those are. Those are the little gray ones that have a bunch of legs, and they're just, they're they're little, but they're just nasty. I don't know. Yeah. I, and I'm not even phobic. I'm not afraid of them. I just, uh, ugh, they gross me out. But I don't mind spiders. I don't, there's not really many other insects that bother me. It sounds like silverfish had great PR on that name. Right? <laughs> they don't sound like they're silver. They don't. Fish are much chiller than bugs. They really, uh, they don't, they're not silver. They're just dirty little gray nasty things yeah Um, the dirty bug the dirty bug (laughs) so cockroaches also face the uh predatory wasp it's called the jewel wasp which rides them like a cowboy injects them with paralyzing venom and then a neurotoxin 
that uh, actually allows the wasp to hijack their brain and steer them towards their spiders or their wasp den. Whoa. Um, and then like the, uh, like the spiders, the cockroaches become a meal for the wasp's larva um, where they bury them alive and then the larva slowly eats them over the course of uh, it, like at its leisure. <laughs> and it's called the jewel wasp? Yes, the jewel wasp. Yeah. Um, that's another because that sounds like like some kind of fancy they lady. They are pretty. They are pretty. They they are oh, okay. shiny green. Um, oh, I see. And they kind of do. They they've got curves. They do look like a fancy lady, actually. <laughs> hey there, fella. I'm Jewel Wasp. Right, right. <laughs> I think they would be female, the ones that are predatory. So, um, right. like, it, I mean, certainly the ones that do this behavior because they're the ones laying the eggs. So they're like, hey there, good looking. You wanna come to my burrow and have my young slowly eat you over several months? Right, you got to be coordinated to inject whatever that yeah. poison is and hold one of those cigarettes right, in a right. long holder. Like Come up and see my, yeah, yeah. my dinner sometime. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some neurotoxins, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, but first, uh, so it, it chews the cockroach's antenna off, and researchers aren't sure why. Could just be mm. to be a jerk. Yeah, ruin their reception. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. I get no channels. Um, <laughs> the cockroach's dad is on the roof just fighting with it. It's more of an old tech reference. But. <laughs> Children, we used to get our TV through like wires that we put on our roofs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then when the, it stopped working, dad would get up on the roof and swear a lot. And then he'd fall off the roof and swear some more. Right. <laughs> That's how it was. Uh, <laughs> Being a dad was terrifying. <laughs> so uh, it uses the remaining antenna to uh, lead it to its den like a dog on the leash. And the neurotoxins have just rendered it completely docile, like a zombie. Um, wow. Then it buries the roach and lays its egg. And then it becomes like the zombie crib that also doubles as a larder for the baby wasp. Yeah, an- animals are just so ready to use each other's bodies as yeah. as like spaces, you know? Yeah. Like we're we're pretty brutal creatures ourselves, but we don't do a ton of that. Right. Like I mean We just don't bother. I mean, yeah. you know, so like all right, we wear the skin of dead animals and eat them and that all seems pretty bad, but yeah. animals do it. I'm not saying that we should keep doing that. I'm just saying that <laughs> animals uh also do that kind of Horrifying stuff. Yeah. Um, I've never been like, that whale's going to be my house. Yeah. That would be crazy. Yeah. Not into it. I mean, in Pinocchio, (laughs) it looked pretty roomy. (laughs) They got all the fish they could ever eat, too. (laughs) Well, you're very (laughs) (laughs) open-minded. Well, so the cockroaches, when faced with the seemingly insurmountable uh, odds with the predator that just has, like, neurotoxins and can turn it into a zombie, they just... Rear up on their legs and yeah. swing their back leg like a baseball bat and deliver a roundhouse kick to the wasp's head. Oh yeah, finally roundhouse kicks. Yes, yes. Um, and it's uh, it, it's really it's oddly precise how they can just like nail these wasps in the face and they sit. It's kind of funny, like they just send the wasp flying. <laughs> um, yeah. Where is it on the Van Dam scale? Like one to ten. Mm, 9.5. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, missing points only because they don't like mug at the camera <laughs> after doing it. <laughs> so Eastern honeybees, which are one of my favorite insects, they're, you know, cute. They make honey. They're not, they're not too mean. Sometimes they'll sting you, you know, 
if you yeah. if you provoke them. Yeah, bees um, gonna be. Bees gonna be. Um, and these are found in Asia, and they will defend their hives by boiling invaders alive, kind of like a medieval siege, anti-siege weapons. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so when an invader like a hornet gets into their nest, uh, the honeybees are outmatched in terms of size, uh, but they can work together to defeat their attacker uh, in one of the most gruesome ways uh, I've heard of. Uh, so they boil the hornet alive by dogpiling it and vibrating their muscles, um, which increases the temperature of this like little ball of bees that are surrounding the hornet uh, <laughs> until the hornet will boil alive at temperatures of up to 115 degrees Fahrenheit. And this, wow. this also increases the levels of CO2. So that in combination, if the heat doesn't kill it, the levels of CO2 also <laughs> will uh, <laughs> get it. And the, most of the honeybees can survive this. They can survive the hot temperatures and CO2 levels, um, but the hornet can't. Um, so, um, so it's like, they'll just kind of vibrate around this hornet and disperse and there's like a dead hornet. Yeah. Uh, well, it would be kind of worse if the hornet could survive it. Cause then it's just endless vibrating just pile like, uh, and, and just a standoff. You yeah. Know? <laughs> like when you're on a real bumpy road and you, you get out of the car and you're trying to get your land legs and your eyes are just jiggling in their sockets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what's interesting is uh, hornets and bees have something called an I see you predator prey relationship, which is an actual term. I feel like no biologists way. have the most adorable terms for things. So, so <laughs> I see you is the uh, really like it's when a um, something that is often a prey item will signal to the predator that it has seen it. And it's telling the predator, hey, buddy, I see you. I'm not worth your time. So it doesn't run away necessarily. because oh. uh, uh, And I think um, some species of squirrels will, d will do this in response to snakes where they like lift their tail up in a way that's saying, hey, I see you. You've lost the uh, element of surprise, so why bother? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the bees will do this. So when they see a hornet, they'll start beating their wings violently and producing this menacing hum. Wow. <laughs> like, <"Bee." laughs> So it's not because the, the typical thing we all hear about is fight or flight. And this yeah. is some kind of uh, to dissuade them from fighting. Yeah. Kind of thing. It's a, I would say it's like wow. towards the fight end of the spectrum where they're, yeah. they're saying, I, we see you. You don't want our, our, our jiggly bee ball, do you? Yeah. And then sometimes this will be enough to get the hornet to leave because it's like, I don't want to be in the middle of a big old vibrating ball of bees. <laughs> Oh, that sounds a little fun, but probably not if you get right. <laughs> roasted to death. It's like a theme park ride. Yeah. Like, if it were not safe, it would not be fun. Right, right. <laughs> like Thunder Mountain jiggles you around a right. lot. <laughs> if it was built by bees to kill me, I would not ride it. But <laughs> Just welcome to Bee World. We jiggle you a lot. <laughs> so the kangaroo rat is another adorable little guy, which you would think wouldn't it's just a totally helpless piece of prey they look like kangaroo little, rat kangaroo rat they look more like mice um they're they get their name not because they're in australia they're actually native to western north america in semi-arid or arid areas like arizona 
they're adorable little mice-like things, and their hind haunches are quite muscular, and that's why they get the term kangaroo rat, because they kind of, you know, there's a little yeah. bit of the, that kangaroo-ness, and they can hop. They um, sound like they would be a great minor league baseball mascot. Somebody <laughs> needs to do that now. The kangaroo rats. Yeah. Rah, rah, rah. Like a softball team. You name. want any any regional animal with like one quirk, yeah. that's the best minor league baseball mascot. The Arizona right kangaroo there. rats. Yeah, We're a yeah. lacrosse team. <laughs> we demand to be taken seriously. Um, so like the cockroach, the kangaroo rats will deliver a flying kick to escape the fangs of rattlesnakes. Um they their first uh, approach is they try to leap out of the way of the snake strike um, with a reaction time of just a few fractions of a second. So they have very wow. good reflexes and very muscular legs. They never skip leg day. Arm day a little bit. They got little tiny arms, but leg day. <laughs> uh, but if the snake actually manages to grab it, you think, okay, fight over, snake wins. Um, but no, they actually will sometimes be able to kick the snake in the face and <laughs> project itself out of its mouth um, before the snake gets the chance to inject venom. And it's really, really funny to watch. I'm gonna gonna oh, show. Oh, I can't wait. And then it just kicks it away. Yeah. So uh, so we're taking a look, and it the snake actually grabs it and it kicks its head, and the snake goes flying and it's really funny because its mouth is agape and this video is in slow motion so the snake looks like oh, no. <laughs> um and that's it's that's just, amazing yeah it's so interesting to me when you have an animal like what what is more innocent than a mouse right um, and it, it but it they animals really want to live and they will do their darndest to stay alive yeah, that it, it's like it even made sure, okay, if they bite me in the middle, my feet are in a perfect position to kick right. it in the neck. Right, like, great. right. Good job. He landed one square in that snake's face. Yeah. <laughs> and it went flying. <laughs> it's very funny. Because snakes, normally they look quite, I don't, regal isn't the world, but but menacing. They look sleek and menacing like killing machines. Oh, yeah. But a snake that's been kicked in the face looks very funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you don't see a lot of... There was one time I was at the, a zoo in Ohio, and we were looking at the like monkey exhibit, mm -hmm. and one of the gibbon-type monkeys was swinging, 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 missed, misses the branch, falls, lands, <laughs> and then like immediately gets back up and tries to look cool and normal. <laughs> Uh, snakes have like no limbs to make mistakes. Right, with. right, right. So they just always seem interesting. Right, right. But if it, not here, yeah, if it gets kicked <laughs> in the face, it's very goofy looking. <laughs> like I wasn't planning for this. Why? Yeah, it looked like Rocky. It's like a shot early in the fight when it's not going well. Right, yet, right, right. You know, and he's like, oh, good. And then, you know, <laughs> later it'll be fine. But just slow motion jaw waggling from side yeah. to side. <laughs> so. Another little cutie who uh, actually has a great strategy to defend itself a bit against big predators are field fair birds. They're a small uh, bird in the thrush uh, family, native to northern Europe and Asia. Um, their chicks make for very easy prey for ravens. Um, they're, okay. you know, they're they're bird babies. They're basically just little sacks of feathers and meat. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the field fair birds are smaller, and they really can't 
ravens are quite large, so they they don't ha- stand much of a chance against them using conventional warfare. But they use whatever. <laughs> they use chemical weapons. Oh, to... they do, Alex. Oh no. <laughs> they use whatever tools they have at their disposal. Their poop. Oh, oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, first, the birds sound the alarm, and that scrambles the birds. <laughs> they like issue an alarm call, and all the all the birds in the area, the the field fair birds, will start um, sw- swooping and swarming the the raven and try to intimidate it into going away. And if it uh, if that doesn't work, this is how uh, David Attenborough describes it: screaming with rage, they bomb the raven with their excrement. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the duties. Wow. Yeah. Because I, well, I, that name, like, Field Fair, it sounds like a place in the Shire or something. Yeah. Like, I expected a very innocent bird. Yeah. So I they, was joking. Yeah, about and they look weapons. innocent. They're like little songbirds. They they look yeah. quite sweet and cute. Of course um, they do. <laughs> um, and the duties uh, stick to the raven's feathers, uh, making it difficult to fly. So <laughs> it's not just a gross out tactic, it will actually render them immobile. And in some cases, that could be fatal for the raven if they can't dry off in time. Makes wow. them vulnerable to other predators. Um, oh, like an oil spill or something. Yes, yes, exactly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> spill on aisle 12. Right. <laughs> uh, it's just so, it's so interesting to me because... You know, you have you have this little tiny bird. What what chance does it have? Well, it didn't bet on poop, did it? <laughs> That's so. I wonder. I wonder how purposefully they're like, oh, I need to poop, but I should hold on to it as a weapon <laughs> just in case. You know? I need this as ammo. <laughs> suddenly, it has a purpose. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, that is very David and Goliath, though. It's it, where it's literally slinging. You know. Well, turds. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, the smaller the animal, probably the more creative they have to be in terms of yeah, how they the, defend themselves. Yeah. Um, like be it with poop or flying kicks or right. You know, <laughs> I actually, you know, it's interesting because um, when I'm walking my dog as a you know smaller person of the the female persuasion, like. You just got to be alert. I mean, everyone has to be alert at night. Yeah, but, sure, sure. But, you know, it's just like be alert. You know, I try not to be paranoid of everyone. But I notice, like after my dog poops and I have that bag of poop, I feel empowered. Like I feel <laughs> like I have a weapon. I have like a morning star made out of poop. So I feel like if someone came up to me and meant bad, I would just throw the poop at them. And now I'm yeah. armed with poop. It's a good, it's, it makes me feel safe. <laughs> I think I understand gun owners now, except my guns would just shoot poop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yours is all natural. So It's all natural, 100% organic poop gun. Top that Second Amendment. <laughs> Wasteful. Second Amendment, more like number two amendment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no biblical or historical scholar, but I wonder how much bigger Goliath really was than David. Was he actually a giant, or was this a case of collective Alice in Wonderland syndrome? 
This syndrome, known as Todd's syndrome or dysmetropsia, is a neurological syndrome that affects visual perception. Remember in Alice in Wonderland, where our girl gets shrunken down or blown up, the world growing or shrinking around her? That's what sufferers of this syndrome experience. Either micropsia, things appearing smaller, or macropsia, things appearing larger, or even objects appearing closer or further away than they appear, a sort of mental side-view mirror. The cause of Alice in Wonderland syndrome is varied. It could be a brain tumor, a migraine, a symptom of the Epstein-Barr virus, the cause of mono, or psychoactive drugs. <laughs> I mean, we all know Alice was probably tripping her yarn balls off. The general cause is an abnormal amount of activity in the visual processing parts of the brain, resulting in increased blood flow to the area. So maybe David was sky high on shrooms? Probably not, although anyone who shows up to a battle with nothing more than a few rocks might be a little high. Hey, we'll get your rocks off, but first we gotta take a quick break. When we get back, I hope you have the stomach for it. <laughs> it's gonna be about animals eating each other. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. We're about to discuss some animals who bite off more than they can chew, but first, do you or anyone you know have misophonia? It's the term for a strong aversion to the sound of chewing. I'm not talking being mildly annoyed by popcorn in the theater, but the sound of munching and slurping and gulping being enough for you to lose your appetite or even fly into a rage. For people with misophonia, chewing or other repetitive sounds can trigger the flight or fight reflex. 
Researchers looked at the brains of those with misophonia using fMRI and found that while listening to trigger sounds, there was an increased brain activity in areas responsible for emotions, long-term memory, and fear. The culprit? The anterior insular cortex, which seemed to spur this increase in activity. The anterior insular cortex is responsible for a variety of functions, including sensory processing, cognitive emotional processing, and even things like interpreting the meaning of one's own heartbeat, imagining pain, and judging how painful something is. If you think you may have misophonia, there's some good news. Cognitive behavioral therapy has been shown to help. And even better news. We're about to discuss an animal who doesn't chew at all. In fact, it likes to swallow prey items way larger than its own body, all without chewing. So Alex, what are your opinions on chewing? Yes or no? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I I do it. uh, I've come across one or two people who I think have that misophonia. Oh, yeah. Because I'll be eating with them and they're like... Can you stop? And yeah. I'm like, stop eating? My, like, maybe. my mouth can't be more closed than it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, chew with your mouth closed. Like, I, but my mouth has to open a little. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> or I can just shove the food into my mouth like Wimpy yeah. from Popeye. You know, just burger, 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 all the way. <laughs> uh, well, if you did that, you would be like the black swallower. Which is a fish. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds it sounds like you know, like the black knight from yes. medieval stuff. Like yeah. it sounds like the worst swallower in the realm. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like some kind of uh warlock who's like, It is I, the black swallower. <laughs> what what's your powers? I swallow the knight. <laughs> like all the king's food, no. He's like swallow, swallow, swallow. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. Um, so I'm going to show you, well, wait, actually, first I'm just going to describe it. So it's a deep sea fish that can grow up to nine inches, and it has a habit of eating things way bigger than its own body. Uh, it's found in deep North Atlantic waters at depths of 2,000 to 9,000 feet. Um, so it's one of these spooky deep sea fish that are all bony and toothy. Oh, they're the worst. Uh, <laughs> I know Alex doesn't like these, so I had to include it. Yeah, they're all like, it's like if a Ziploc bag was angry. Like yes. They're all like glowy and, and yeah. mad and hard to it, look at. It looks like one of those stress balls full of the little like beads and stuff, but yeah. instead of beads, it's bones. <laughs> yeah, and you can see all the organs yeah. somehow. It's Just terrible. Pumping away. Yeah. Everything all their blood looks black. <laughs> yeah. Um so Well, we should exterminate this species. Great. <laughs> <laughs> well, it gets even better, Alex. It has a distendable stomach that can hold prey twice its length and up to ten times its mass. Its jaws oh. can swing down and open large enough to eat things bigger than its own head, kinda like a snake. I'm going to show you a picture of a... Oh, man. <laughs> it's, um, so what I've just shown Alex is a terrible-looking fish, um, and its stomach looks like a water balloon, and it's full of, I think, a squid? Maybe. Yeah. Hard to tell, but you can still see. So the stomach can stretch, but it's so stretchy that you can actually see through it. Yeah. So it just looks like this big bag of squid attached to this fish that's otherwise pretty shrimpy looking. Well, it, it looks it looks like if someone told you, "Hey, I need a Photoshop of a minnow eating uh, a, like a massive animal," yes. and you didn't have a lot of time, you would yeah. just draw a big bag under the minnow yeah. with the animal in it. It's That's like what a, this looks like. It's a child's idea of eating. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, 
Sometimes its eyes are bigger than its stomach, so much that it accidentally kills itself. <laughs> Whoa. Um, oh, it, it, just too much. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so prey can cool. burst its stomach or more gruesomely, if the prey is so large that decomposition sets in before it can be digested, the decomp gases will force the black swallower to float to the surface, killing it. Uh, in fact, this is how most specimens are collected. It's just like... It's wow! It's such a huge meal. They've just like, well, it's uh, it doesn't have time to uh, actually digest it, and the the de- <laughs> uh, it's so it's so creepy. Like the decomp gases fill its body, and it's like, whoop! Now I'm buoyant. Yeah, well, and it's one of these animals that's just such a killing machine. It's dumb. Yeah, you know, like yeah. it just knows how to eat stuff, uh, so it doesn't know how to not die. Amazing. So here's a picture of one <laughs> with its stomach just like torn open by a huge whoa squid. Yeah, a much bigger animal's just leaving. Yeah. It's like, well, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> it just, do- it doesn't, you're right, it doesn't look real. It doesn't look like this should actually happen. Right. But it, it, like, it doesn't look like a real stomach. It looks like a, a plastic bag attached to a fish where it's like, well, the food goes in here, I guess. Right. <laughs> it's so, it's so creepy. Like, draw a trout eating 200 pounds of beef. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's just on the bottom of it. I don't yeah. know. Okay. And its face is kind of doofy. Like, this this one's dead, so that's kind of tragic, I suppose. But its face looks kind of doofy, like, well, I guess I boned this one up. <laughs> uh, so, Alex, on this show, we like to go to a little place I like to call Imagination Station. <laughs> okay. All right. Toot toot. On board. On board. All yeah. board the brain train. Toot toot. Toot toot. Chicka chicka. Uh, (laughs) um so imagine that you're just about to sit down and eat what's your favorite food oh boy uh it's uh uh, gotta be like a really good lemon pepper chicken okay so you've got your lemon pepper chicken and yeah it's it's in fact it's like inviting you to eat it it's going come here alex come hither and partake of my succulent meats in my head the little box of wings is talking yeah 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 the lid you know yeah 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 just like come here alex we're delicious and covered in lemony zest ah they are and you open up your box of lemon chicken and you're 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 bringing it towards your mouth and all of a sudden just teeth pop out of the chicken and bite you in the face. I'm not ima- going back to that wing stop. Well, you know. Location. I mean, <laughs> Chipotle, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be uh, uh, psychologically scarring. Yes. Especially for me, an intelligent animal. Yes. I'd be like, well, never again. When your food fights back. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I want to talk to you about such a case. Uh, it's this little guy called the Epimus beetle. Uh, they're only about a half an inch to an inch big as adults, and they look innocent enough. They're just like your average kind of semi-shiny green beetle. Um, But they're called obligate role reversal predators. So the obligate part means that they must do that to survive. And um, the role reversal predator is someone who, like, pretends to be prey, and then when their predator gets close enough, they strike. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, sort of femme fatale, but they're beetles and acting yeah. like food. Yeah, I just saw the first season of Killing Eve, 
It's oh, like yeah? when she's in that club down there and she lures the guy in. That's oh, not really? a reference for people, but anyway. No, but that's that's cool. So like she she's kind of like luring someone. I mean, that is that trip there's where it's a, like Yeah, there's one episode where one of the one of the detective people is pursuing her and she purposely leads him into like a, one of those crowded, you know, like Euro disco kind of clubs yeah. and it's just tons of bodies. Disco, disco and then disco there's times. a part where she just turns around and smiles at him Ooh. and you know that she knows he can't get away Ooh. in time and she's going to get him. And then she does. Ooh. Yeah. That's creepy. That is like this. That is so similar to this uh, beetle because it's just like once it, well, once it's got its uh, its victim, like it takes its sweet time. Um, <laughs> so um, the it's actually not the adult beetle, but the baby beetles, the larva that will do this behavior. Whoa. So um, the beetle larva will make sort of helpless prey-like movements like, oh, no, I'm just a succulent little larva. Look <laughs> right. at me. I'm so delicious and small. <laughs> mm, I bet I taste good. <laughs> so it draws in predators like frogs. Uh, and as the frog's about to chow down on what looks like, you know, a, a slimy but satisfying larva, uh, they uh, dodge the wing stop of the frog world. <laughs> they dodge the frog's attacks. Then the beetle larva bites the frog in the neck or underside, uh, disabling the frog. It's just so gruesome. Then they attach themselves to the frogs and slowly feed off them, like just sucking out their juices. <laughs> oh, like blood and stuff, just taking. Yeah, it out. just like yeah, like they they'll slowly eat uh, at them, kind of like a parasite. But I think they work quicker. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> right, not like those lazy parasites. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bet she thought it was just a tasty little grub, but no, who's got who's eating who now? <laughs> that's my uh, grub voice. <laughs> uh, and it, because that's amazing. That's only the the babies. Like yes. th- then the adults maybe see this brutal behavior happen and they're like, ah, oh, so childish. You know? <laughs> well, the adults are also predatory. They, um, But they, instead of playing the like innocent little baby kind of thing, they'll sneak up behind their victim, do a surgical strike, which some researchers think they're severing the leg muscles, which disables the frog and allows the beetle to eat at its leisure. Just like, <laughs> they're, so, they're such assholes. Like, just why can't they just kill it and get it over with and eat it? But instead it's like, looks like you can't move. Isn't that a shame? <laughs> Guess I'm going to have to eat your legs. <laughs> Man, and frogs are such a target for these guys. Yes. Poor frogs. Well, it's frogs and other amphibians, um, like oh. newts and such. Uh Oh, but. well, newts have it coming. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I don't know. They're fine. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, I love it. What a specific, uh, uh, brutal thing. Great. I know. It's it's pretty metal, but it's also, it's just, there's something creative. so devious about it. Yeah, it's yeah. creative, but devious. Yeah, like a murderous baby yes. in any species. Oh, that's such a creepy trope. Why do you think it is we're so creeped out by murder babies? You know, yeah, like like yeah. Omen. What's another like murder baby? Boss baby. Was that the plot of Boss Baby? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> he murders I, a bunch of people. I know an embarrassing amount about the entire movie. I've, I've seen. seen it. I watched Boss Baby. Um, okay, me too. <laughs> for, actually, for this podcast, once there was a pilot episode uh, uh, that didn't we didn't end up airing, but uh, I watched Boss Baby for it. <laughs> 
um, which was great. A yeah. good use of my time. And then the makers of Boss Baby killed the show. Yes. It was too raw. About it. Boss Baby creators called us up and it's like, you don't understand. It's not lawyers. We will kill you if you diss <laughs> Boss Baby. Um, so it was a great movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, those things like The Omen or uh, there's one called The Orphan. Oh, where, yeah. Where, where it twists, it's a tiny yes, adult lady. But, a tiny adult, um, yes. Yeah, they do that a lot. Yeah, 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 like pretending to be, I mean, that's the whole family guy thing is Stewie is, uh, yeah, you know, right. uh, is a tiny larva who, yeah. who eats frogs. Yeah, yes, sure. yes. <laughs> if the frog's name is Lois, am I right? That classic <laughs> naughty family guy humor, that raunchy <laughs> naughty family guy humor. It's really good. So... Alex, I want you to imagine who you think will win in this fight. Although I feel like maybe the title of this episode is a little bit of maybe. (laughs) But uh, so we're in Maine and New England where it's all snowy and beautiful. And we have two kind of elusive predators, the fishers and the lynxes. They're kind of like the the sharks and the jets. (laughs) Fishers. Is that, I think I've heard of a Fisher cat, which actually might be a minor league baseball mascot now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, (laughs) We're the Fisher cats and we need to be taken seriously. (laughs) Um, Well, actually, no, Fishers are small house cat sized animals in the weasel family. Oh, nice. Um, Weighing in at only about eight pounds. They're weasels, basically. Cool. They look a lot like weasels. Um, They're They're not. They're a little bigger than weasels, um, but they're about the size of a house cat. Okay. Surely the much bigger lynx destroys it in every fight. Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, bigger. look at these. They're, they're cute little noodle boys. And then the lynxes, <laughs> the, the Canada lynx, which is a relative of the bobcat, but they're bigger and fluffier, weighs in at an, a shocking 25 pounds. Oh, yeah. I kind of expected more, meat. but that's big. It's a yeah. lot of fluff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they are very uh, fluffy, but... Yeah, so they're a little bigger than Bobcat. They look intimidating. They they sure, yeah. they have a little more of the saber-toothed tiger kind of look. Uh, very yeah. fluffy, very sort of ice age looking. Um, so, who you you think you Alex? You oh yeah, you dummy. You the think larger the, animal, you right? Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well. Researchers were pretty surprised to find that these little tiny noodly fishers were actually often the uh, winners in fights between lynxes yeah. and the fishers. Uh, research- noodle boys. Noodle, noodle boys. boys. Noodle boys. <laughs> <laughs> Researcher Scott McLellan uh, says uh, a fisher really doesn't have any boundaries in the size of the animal it's willing to attack. <laughs> 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 Which is great. Yeah. Now I need big fisher energy it's... in my life. <laughs> no, nothing's too big. No BFE. challenge. Yeah. yeah. Got, got some of that BFE. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They are. They are saucy little noodle boys. <laughs> and this researcher has. A, I love this guy because he has such a way with words. Uh, he also says, um, "We know that fishers are very opportunistic. They're just a ball of fury." <laughs> <laughs> so they tracked uh, lynxes with some uh, radio collars, and they, when the radio collars stopped moving, they're like, mm, "I think that lynx might be dead." <laughs> oh my god! Uh, these are research. <laughs> What's the accent like in Maine? Is that is that almost a Canadian accent, or is that uh, not uh, quite? 
Oh, that's a good question. I haven't seen enough Stephen I, King adaptations. I imagine to know. I, I imagine it is Fargo, but I don't think that's right. But I'm gonna go with a Fargo accent because you know. Yeah. Uh, so so <laughs> they're like, oh yeah, we think that might be dead. <laughs> the radio caller stopped a going, right. uh, and they arrive at the scene where the lynxes were killed, uh, and they have to do like a bit of biological forensics because uh, yeah. they piece together the scene of the crime. Uh, and it's actually kind of hard because the lynx is often ripped apart limb from limb. Just Holy comp- shit. It's a nasty, nasty scene. Uh, and they found fisher bite marks and tufts of fisher fur in the lynx's mouth, uh, indicating that there was quite a fight. Um, so it wasn't that, you know, it's like there's a chance that maybe the uh, fisher was just like scavenging on the dead lynx. Like, no, no, yeah. no, the, the, lynx, <laughs> the lynx had defensive fight wounds. <laughs> Um, In fact, when they looked at the animal tracks, it pointed towards the fishers stalking the lynxes, hunting them down, rather than just, like, defending themselves or getting in a little scrape. Like, they are actively murdering these lynxes. (laughs) Oh, I don't know, boys. I I think we got a murder on our hands. Right. (laughs) Um, And according to Scott McClellan, who, God, I love him so much. Quote, they just buckle on. They have a pretty powerful grip and they know where to attack. <laughs> um, and after the fishers <laughs> have killed the lynxes, they get a little Jeffrey Dahmer creativity. Uh, uh, McClellan says, quote, it might drag a leg up into a tree. It might drag a leg into a bush pile or under some snow somewhere. <laughs> just like right. drag a leg. Here's a leg. There's a leg. Everywhere's a leg leg. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because when you're in a creative project and you're in the early stages, you yeah. know, no wrong answers, no wrong ideas. No wrong limbs. Leg in the tree. Leg in a tree. Brainstorm. Listen, we're just sticking things to the tree and see what stays <laughs> in that tree. We're going to put some lynx body parts up the flagpole and see who salutes it. <laughs> also, um, fishers have these very spooky screams that sound, well... I'm just going to play a brief clip of this uh, for you and see what you think. (laughs) It sounds like someone's screaming, like a ghost person. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's so creepy because I Uh. feel like if I lived in Maine and I heard that, I would just assume someone was being murdered. Oh, because it's such a haunted state because of Stephen King. Yeah, yeah like some yeah. ghosts are getting re-murdered. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't know. So Stephen King's from Maine. Oh, yeah, he's he's all about oh, it, no too. No wonder. A bunch of his stories are there. It's yeah. the fishers screaming at night, yeah. murdering lynxes <laughs> that did, scarred a young Stephen King. Well, because especially these animals, they feel like something that would be in... There are a lot of Stephen King stories where it's like a horde of sort of small things being yeah. a problem, like Langoliers or something. Yeah, it, it would be. He would probably call it the Noodle Boys, and it the would be these, boys. these animals. And yeah. then the Noodle Boys reared their heads and entered my body with their teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so we know that scrappy little Davids in the animal kingdom can take down Goliath. But I was wondering if there's any truth to this principle when it comes to human psychology, specifically in group dynamics. Human beings are social animals, so typically our Goliath-like strength relies on us forming groups. But 
Can there be a downside? There's something called the bystander effect. It's a sort of groupthink situation in, in which crowds of people fail to help someone in need, not because they're callously indifferent, but because each individual group member thinks, hey, someone else will handle it. Of course, who even deals with crowds of people anymore? We're all safe inside on our phones, browsing Twitter and Reddit or the TikToks and the Instagrammables. Well, not so fast there, my fellow millennials. A study by the Tavistock Institute of Human Relations found that the bystander effect was present even in online information sharing communities. When looking into how many people in online groups would respond helpfully to questions, the smallest groups fared the best with the highest percent of responders. Medium-sized groups were the worst, and larger groups were better, but still not as good as the smallest group. The researchers speculate that while the smallest group avoids the bystander effect, the reason the larger groups tend to respond more than the medium-sized groups was due to the increased anonymity, reducing social inhibition. After all, who's going to remember your particular handle, WeedGoku69, if you're in a forum of 500,000 members, so it's safe for you to offer your potentially bad ideas. But when measuring the quality of helpfulness, the small and medium-sized groups fared better than the larger groups, so still, the smallest group won out in terms of how helpful they were and how often they were helpful. However, what the researchers didn't take into account is that if you have an anonymous intergroup small enough, 90% of the users could be sock puppets, with the remaining 10% being you and two dogs trying to lick the chicken grease off a keyboard, so maybe dogs on keyboards are the real heroes? We'll be right back after a quick break, and I'll be joined by Dr. Greg Pauly, who's here to dispel some reptilian myths and to talk about a very slithery David and Goliath story. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On a network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. 
Here with me today is friend of the show, Dr. Greg Pauly. He's a herpetology researcher and curator at the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles County. And he's here to talk to us about snakes as the one thing I want people to get from this podcast is to love snakes. That sounds good to me. Yeah. So snakes are notorious gluttons. And we're talking about today David and Goliath situations. So nothing is more emblematic to me than like a snake eating something huge in its little tiny noodle body. Um, And it can unhinge its jaw and swallow prey many times its size Um, How do they do this without exploding or do they actually explode? They can explode. So first I'll say, I will say uh, they don't actually unhinge their jaw. Okay. What's really interesting about snakes is that their jaw actually consists of three bones. So we think about like we have a mandible and a maxilla. Yeah. But what snakes do is they actually have another bone in between those. Really? Okay. And in us developmentally, that bone is part of our middle ear. But in snakes, which don't have a middle ear, that bone is part of the jaw articulation. And so what they can actually do is they open their jaws really wide because of the fact that they've got this, you know, these basically two joints, this right, sort of right. three bone system. Right. So jaw. it's kind of like a door hinge where it's like, you know, those top, the top hinges in hotel doors that lets the door open pretty wide. Does that make sense? No. No. I don't totally know anything lost. about <laughs> Maybe I should spend more time in hotels. No uh, worries. Uh, let's yeah, just but move it's on. Two, it's basically go. two hinges. I yeah. mean, basically the whole point is like two hinges. So you have two hinges so it can. And so it can open up, you know, in some cases, in some species of snakes, they get almost to 180 degrees. Oh my God. Which is, you know, pretty amazing. Yeah. So yeah, snakes, I mean, I think that they have this reputation sometimes as sort of being gluttonous, but you know, the reality is that, you know, a snake might only eat one or two meals a year. Yeah. So, wow. Um, okay. I don't know. As somebody who's like going to have three meals and maybe two snacks today. I feel like it's not my job to call yeah. somebody to call a snake gluttonous when yeah. it's eating like once every six yeah. months. Yeah. But yeah, there's these unbelievable situations. So not it's all snakes do this. doing the CEO like uh, intermittent fasting to a huge yeah. degree. <laughs> exactly. So not all snakes do this, but particularly vipers and boas and pythons, some of our really like heavy bodied snakes, they take on huge prey items. So some of the biggest, what we call relative prey mass, that's sort of what we refer to this in, mm-hmm. in the snake literature, is some of those biggest numbers will be like snakes eating prey items that are like hundred over 150% of their Jeez. own mass. So I think the record is like almost up to 1.7 times their own mass. Oh so gosh. that's like, you know, imagine something like, uh, let's take, you know, like a 20-pound... Uh, boa constrictor. Right. That's like one of those snakes eating like a 30-pound meal. So it goes from being a 20-pound snake to being a 50-pound oh snake because it just ate this massive meal. Just get some terrible meat sweats. Yeah, I would. And so that's right. I mean, so then what do they do for like you know, the next couple of weeks is like nothing. You know, yeah. they crawl over to some spot where they feel a little bit protected. Ideally, there's a little bit of sunshine and they stick the they stick that chunk of their body that's got that big digesting prey mass out into the sun and then it slowly digests and you know weeks to months later they take a giant poop and (laughs) and got rid of it all that's that actually sounds like a wonderful life but there are these situations where like the snake kind of misjudged what it was trying to eat and actually eats something that's so big that it actually does end up tearing the oh inside. My God. So actually tearing the digestive tract and in some cases actually causing the entire animal to rupture. And oh my God. There's actually this vi- this photo that went viral yeah, a couple I saw years that. ago. Yeah. Of a, this is a non-native Burmese python in the Florida Everglades that had taken out 
a rather large alligator. Yeah. And it actually ended up being too large and yeah. it ended up, you know, how does it, the animal, the, the snake sort yeah. of ruptured and you can see the gator through the snake. So how does it take out a gator in the first place? It kind of, ra- yeah, it's constriction. A constriction. Yeah. 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 So that's the thing, like these, these species that we see doing this, like boas and pythons are like really big, strong, constricting yeah. snakes. And then the other ones we see doing it are things like vipers, right? Where, you know, the anim- the, the snake strikes the animal, venomates it, yeah. waits for that animal to die and then goes and consumes it. Yeah. Yeah. How do they normally manage, like, without exploding? Because they must have some pretty flexible um, muscles to be able to allow them. Because, like, if we tried to eat something twice our size, like, that wouldn't that wouldn't work we would yeah. instantly yeah. die yeah or, or choke like how do they yeah. how do they not choke how do they not uh yeah always so, explode i mean basically a snake is just this giant tube right mm-hmm. and so if you can sort of fit into that tube you're kind of good to go like there right there's a reason that a snake doesn't have a small neck in most cases right and it's because right. that neck would then be the sort of limiting factor of what you can fit down right and so What's really amazing is like snakes have all these ways of sort of like being able to expand. So, you know, you don't see things like we have where we have like, you know, we have this rib cage that's fused in a few places. And so our rib cage doesn't expand that well. Well, snakes don't have that. Yeah. You know, they don't have a rib cage that fuses all the way around so that they can expand a lot. When we see a snake, what we mostly see are like we see all the scales. But actually, if a snake is like eating a huge meal, then it's expanded so much that you actually see all the skin in between yeah. those scale rows. And it'll be almost as wide as the scale rows itself if it's really distended. Yeah. And so they can just take on these, you know, really big meals and their body can expand to accept a lot of it. There's, of course, limits, but even the stomach itself can expand lengthwise, right? Oh, wow. And take up a huge chunk of sort of that tubular yeah. body if it has a big meal. And so or maybe not just like a big meal, but maybe... You know, maybe it's an egg-eating snake of some yeah, sort. Yeah, so you have multiple actually, ones. Yeah, so yeah. maybe you just got lucky and you got, you know, you found the, the hen house and you just got, you know, six eggs <laughs> at once. Yeah. Um, and some species of egg-eating snakes actually rupture the eggs and regurgitate them and some actually just swallow the eggs whole. So, like, for these ones that swallow whole, you just got to pack in, like, you know, yeah. six, Do they poop eggs. the shell out or? It actually mostly gets digested. Really? So snake stomachs are absolutely amazing. Like, you know, you see these snakes that, like, you know, take like a, you know, take a take that big boa constrictor I was talking about. Let's say it yeah. does. You know, let's say it eats a small monkey of some sort. Mm. It's not it's not pooping out little monkey bones. There's not like a femur that's coming out. You know, a mammal femur coming out. Yeah. You know, two weeks later. No, that all gets the snake stomach is so incredibly efficient. It digests all. Oh of that. my god. What you'll see in the long run is just see a little bit of hair, and that's about it. Maybe some claws off, yeah. the, off the feet and stuff. But. I kind of want to change my funeral plans to being eaten by a snake because then I would be 100% snake at that point. Yeah, they actually have a pretty high rate of, you know, sort of recovering sort of the energy so from that efficient. animal. They're so efficient, yeah. Um, I don't know. It it it's uh it's not that far-fetched. It's rare for a snake to consume a human. There are yeah. a few species that occasion that very 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 rarely do it. Yeah. Um and and the key is you need to be a sort of a, a smallish person and I a see, really yeah. big snake. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, if I if I turn into a little old lady then that'll be my funeral plan. There you go. Get a big can, snake, big enough snake. <laughs> so you wrote a blog post about these incredible flying wrestling matches between snakes and hawks, which uh, sounds a lot more entertaining than anything out of the WWE. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? Paint us a picture of this scene to our audience and and how how, how are snakes able to fend off these hawks? Yeah, so... I mean, this is a sort of, I think it's sort of a great David and Goliath story. Yeah. Like, you know, we have these aerial predators, hawks, eagles, other birds of prey, and they love to eat snakes. Like, 
it's, you know. It's, it's their tasty. Italian food. Yeah, it's the tasty little meal. <laughs> and so, but sometimes what happens, this is particularly true for juvenile birds of prey, is they haven't really, they haven't gotten their technique down and they haven't maybe figured out that, you know, sometimes you can bite off more than you can chew. Yeah. And so you might get something like a juvenile red-tailed hawk, which is, you know, really widespread species yeah. of hawk across across much of the United States, that might see something like a gopher snake, a bull snake, a rat snake. It's sort of those are the species that we often and see. And about how big are the snakes so, and how big you know, is the So, you know, this is, I mean, you know, this is a couple pound bird, you know, but it might, a, a juvenile red-tailed hawk still might have, you know, two, two and a half foot wingspan. Um, and then these snakes might be two and a half, three, three and a half, you know, up to four or five yeah. feet long. But they're just, but they're noodles, whereas the yeah, hawks exactly. have these yeah, huge yeah, yeah. talons, yeah. crushing beaks. Yeah. They the, can fly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Horrible, mean predator. And yeah. then there's this cute, adorable snake cruising yeah. around, just going about <laughs> its business for the day, enjoying some sun. And this hawk comes out of nowhere and pounces on it. And so sometimes happens with these juvenile hawks is they'll come down and they'll grab something like a gopher snake and they'll start flying off with it. But, you know, the snake is like two, two and a half, three feet long. And so, and it's a constricting species. And so what the snake will then do as a defense mechanism is it just wraps up the hawk. Mm-hmm. And so here's this hawk trying to fly. And now it's got, you know, it's got a, it can't move one wing yeah, very yeah. well because like the snake wrapped a coil around that. It's like mashing kind of one talon into the other talon. It's got a coil around its neck. It's like getting tangled up in a hose. Yeah. And so what <laughs> happens is like you'll see these reports every now and then. And this is like one of the great things is like people post this stuff on social media because it seems absolutely absurd. And it is, but it actually gives us an opportunity to study these sort of rarely observed um, events. And so what happens is you get these photographs every now and then that show up of like, you know, a hawk that has like landed in the middle of a street or not even landed as much as it's like fallen out of the air into the middle of the street. There's a hawk like wrapped up around or there's a snake wrapped up around it and you know, nobody knows what's going on. And what's going on is the snake is fighting for its life. And it's last ditch effort is like, can I mess up this hawk enough that I can get away? And usually what, what sometimes happens in these cases is that actually the bird gets so exhausted that eventually the snake is able to, to crawl off and get away. You know, maybe it's got some talon injuries or something like that. And what's really neat is with social media is we see this now all over the place because people post these like absurd videos or absurd photos. But because they're posting these, you know, onto the Internet, you know, we see observations of this like same sort of thing going down in like Africa and going down all across the United States and going down in, you know, other parts around the world, different species of, you know, birds of prey and different species of snakes. But we see that there's a lot of different snakes that are capable of sort of doing this as like the last ditch effort of like trying to trying to save themselves and slay the evil hawk Goliath. Yeah, so is is that is that kind of a common behavior that they do where they try to wrap around a predator um and but just in this case they happen to be flying? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, you know, I mean a, a, a snake's first line of defense is like don't get seen at all, right, right? right? Rely on camouflage. Stealth, yeah. Yeah, rely on stealth, try not to get seen. You know, the second line of defense is is just flee. Right. Yeah. To try to crawl away. That's what they teach you in self-defense. Like the best thing to do is to run away. <laughs> yeah. Don't get seen and then don't have any contact because you run away. Yeah. And then, you know, if that fails, then you got to scare, try to scare off whatever it is. And, you know, and so those snakes have all these bluff like displays. The rattlesnake. You know? Yeah. And other snakes will like try to rattle their tail to yeah. kind of mimic a rattlesnake or yeah. they'll hiss or they'll, they'll strike at you, but like yeah. totally in ways that are never going to connect. It's just these defensive strikes. Yeah. And they do all this stuff to like, you know, they they, in, they inhale a bunch of air to look big, you know. They do all this stuff to like scare away a potential predator. But if that fails as well, then you've got no other choice but to fight for your life, right? Yeah. And so that's what's happening. I mean, this is a snake 
fighting for its life. The yeah. hawk is fighting for a meal. The snake's fighting for its life. Yeah. The snake's got way more to lose. Yeah. Gives it all it can. And sometimes it works. You That's know? amazing. But then you have to imagine like in these situations, like that snake is probably, you know, snakes have home ranges. They have yeah. territories. It's just dropped off in the middle so of nowhere. So now it's dropped yeah. off in the middle of nowhere. So I think I forget the exact street, but like the blog that I was writing about was literally like a guy was driving down the street and took this photograph and I want to say like Echo Park here in Los yeah. Angeles of this red-tailed hawk that just plummeted down in the middle of the roadway with this snake. Yeah. And so sometimes it can be as like conspicuous as a spot as that. But of course that snake is now, you know, totally in a new habitat. It has no idea. Got to you know, rebuild its, its snake life. It's got to totally rebuild its whole life. But at least it's alive. <laughs> yeah. You know? At least yeah. it made it. So. You got to try it. I, I wish that... Um, the I think it's the the Mexican flag that has the hawk and the yeah, snake. Yeah, that's exactly right. It. Yeah, they should replace it with a snake, just totally wrapped around the hawk and like just battling it out. Yeah, doing be its amazing. very best to survive. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, if there's one thing you could ask people to do to appreciate nature more, what would it be? Oh, since we're since we're talking about you know sort of rarely observed things, I would say. You know, if you see something out there that's really bizarre, you see a snake and a hawk crashing to the ground, you see some lizards mating, you see, um, you know, there's probably other cool stuff going on in like non-reptile examples, but, you know, you see something interesting, take a photograph of it and um, send it to somebody at your local natural history museum because maybe it's actually scientifically interesting or better still, download this amazing app called iNaturalist and participate in this online citizen science project where you can upload observations of things that you see. And share those with people around the world and create an amazing digital legacy uh, of biodiversity records that scientists for literally hundreds of years will be able to use for their research. Yeah, and then you could maybe also use it for your new metal band album cover. But, Absolutely. Uh, but share it with scientists first, please. Yeah, and yeah. then we can even give you advice on like, yeah. you know. What's this name? is yeah yeah what what what's a good name what's yeah. going on what's the, the, the correct scientific name of your metal band yeah, yeah and then you can have a Latin influenced metal band <laughs> awesome well thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me on and we're back with Alex Schmidt um, so that was a pretty pretty snaky adventure. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why so many people are afraid of snakes. They've mostly been, like, comedically hit and uh, in weird fights with birds. And I'm way into it. I know. I, I, I do like snakes. I think they're actually kind of... Well, I guess rattlesnakes aren't cute to me just because I associate them with venom. Deadly, deadly venom. But the other ones oh, yeah. are cute to me, like pythons. They have They kind of, like, have little puppy faces. They're cute. Yeah. They're little <laughs> noodle dogs. <laughs> Yeah, that Disney's Robin Hood movie where the snake is like a, a dupey advisor. Yeah. You know, that's the one that got it. I had a lot of sympathy for that snake. Yeah. You know, he was just, he was like. Like, yes, your highness. <laughs> yes. Like a lot of that stuff. Oh, really good. He was sort of <laughs> really like the weaselly. Dwight Schrute of the. Of the... <laughs> Assistant to the false king. Yeah. <laughs> uh. That was uh, the Disney hit, uh, Robin Hood. An animated oh, tale. Yeah, for yeah, for where he was a fox. Yeah, remember that's a good, like in history. Yeah, yeah, in history, Robin. I don't know if you guys <laughs> knew this, but Robin Hood was a fox. Yeah, uh, that's a great movie. That I love all just like they they have little John as uh, Blue the bear somehow. <laughs> it's like a big bear, and it, it's the same voice actor as who did Blue in uh, yeah. Jungle Book. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there that brief period of reusing a lot of the cells. That was a good yeah. time. Yeah. I think we need more positive representation of snakes in in media. I can't think of like any 
good snake. Like, can you think of one, like a good cartoon snake? Oh, boy. Oh, wait, wait. Kung Fu Panda, one of the snakes uh, is, oh, cool. is one of the good guys, one of the good, good uh, fighters. Yeah, good. Um, and and she's a she's a female, which is um, I don't know why I called her. I, I'm used to calling animals females, but <laughs> she's a woman in the movie because she's anthropomorphic. <laughs> um, but maybe, yeah, and maybe that's why they're not in a ton of stuff. Is that it's a little hard to make them anthropomorphic in a super fun way because right. they have no limbs. You know? Although I did find I I mean like what they did in uh, Robin Hood again hit disney film robin hood <laughs> the animated tale <laughs> of robin hood and his merry right. men historical documentary uh, yes uh is like the snake would like fold his leg his not his legs but fold his body in kind of like funny ways and like oh, he is, yeah. I, I think that i think you can definitely do it you just gotta gotta have empathize with those snakes yeah more creativity <laughs> give us more good representation of snakes please they're yeah. great they're good they're good little noodle boys. <laughs> we got we got we need fishers and snakes <gasps> who do you think would win Fisher versus oh. snake, big snake. You know that that's almost an, the existing story of Ricky Ticky Tavi. <laughs> that's a true. That is snake, true. Ricky Ticky Tavi is which, a mongoose. Who and there was an snakes. animated movie of it that our yeah. library had on VHS. Yeah, I remember I saw that it a lot. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was like a Chuck Jones movie. Yeah, um, yeah, and and that story is accurate because mongoose do eat uh, snakes. Yeah, and often poisonous ones, and they they'll eat or not poisonous. Sorry, venomous. And they'll also eat um, scorpions, they, and they have a certain cool. resistance that. to yeah to scorpion uh, venom. Tough little noodle boys. Tough little noodle boys. Yeah. Or would it just like if you matched up a fisher with a snake? Would it just be like like flopping two noodles together, like a fight, <laughs> like fighting with two poodle pool noodles? Right. You know, you know pool noodle fights <laughs> sure. that you have. So, Alex, <laughs> you got anything to plug? <laughs> My upcoming pool fight is going to be... Uh, no, the Cracked Podcast. I hope people check it out. And uh, and then I'm doing a show uh, in L.A. Friday, July 19th, if that fits with when this yeah, comes out. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's at Stories Cafe in Echo Park. It's called Difficult to Name, and it's a great reading series. No, what's the show's name? Uh, Difficult to Name. No, no, just come on. Uh, you can do it. Difficult to Name. Uh, Alex, it's... you should come more prepared to these podcasts. <laughs> uh, you were so ready for that. Bit. I'm so happy. Uh... <laughs> yeah, and I, I was actually just on the Crack Podcast, uh, so that should be coming yeah. out soon. Uh, probably around the time. Well, when is that coming out? It'll be middle of July. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. sweet. You'll he- so it's all coming together. It's all coming together. It's, to get- it's yeah, all yeah. all the way to the top. It's all coming together. Yeah. <laughs> And you brought great stuff, including animal stuff. So, I, you know, it's yeah, great. Yeah. yeah. We talk about extinct kangaroos. Or are they? What? <laughs> Tough little kangaroo boys. <laughs> so where can people <laughs> find you, Alex? I'm at Alex Schmitty on Twitter. And then my website is alexschmitty.com. And it has an email newsletter I do where it's 10 tips on fun things that are free on the internet. How am I not subscribed to that? I maybe I think I don't talk about it enough. I've been trying to. Now. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. I'm gonna subscribe to that. I want yeah, I want Schmitty it. tips. Yeah, <laughs> they come like once a month, unobtrusively. The gritty Schmitty. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the room will fill with nicknames the more we are here. <laughs> I invite everyone on Twitter to hound Alex with your own nicknames. Oh, do it. <laughs> uh, you of course can find us at Creature Feet Pod on Twitter. F E A T. Uh, creaturefeaturepod 
facebook.com, Creature Feature Pod on Instagram. Uh, we're up here every Wednesday, and I'm at Katie Golden, and of course, I'm also at Pro Bird Rights. Or is the bird me, or am I the bird? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking about that bird that poops on its enemies. I know, yeah. I know. It's it's it is truly an excellent strategy of yeah. bombardment. <laughs> <laughs> Birds is nasty. <laughs> be nasty. <laughs> Listen, birds. Stop. Don't You're be nasty. so nasty. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks to the Space Cossacks for their awesome song, Exolumina. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career and here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.